John 1, verse 35, says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus replied, Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and had, who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So I don't know if you have ever wondered who were the first followers of Jesus. Who were the first guys? We just praised our hearts out, right? For this king, for this Lord. Who were who the, the first people? Who were the first people over there? And likely, um, you know something about those who have come after those first followers. Even if you don't think you do, you actually know probably a lot about people who came after those first followers who would claim Jesus as Lord. Because some of the, the most uh, amazing people that you have studied in your life were actually Christ followers. Christ followers have had a huge impact on the world that we are a part of today. Constantine, Da Vinci, Mozart, Bach, Descartes, Joan of Arc, uh, Mother Teresa, Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, Winston Churchill. So many people who have come after have said, yes, this Jesus is Lord. And what we've seen is that followers of Jesus have been uh, amazing and amazingly inconsistent. Like, how can so many, this is the question we're going to ponder for a minute, like how can so many people who claim Jesus is Lord look and act so different from him and from each other? It's hard to nail down what a Christian would look like just by looking at those who followed Christ. So um, we're wondering today, who were the first followers of Jesus? Because if you think about the people you know now, the people that you live around and the people that you work with who are Christians, and they're all around you. You know this, right? There's all these people around you who say they follow Christ. They all live that out in different ways, if you pay attention. So even churches do this. Churches live it out in different ways. Some pastors, when they preach, they wear, uh, wear robes, right? I have a robe. You'll never see it, okay? <laughs> Some pastors uh, preach in, uh, skinny, je in skinny jeans, right? 
And some people think I wear skinny jeans. I don't. I just have skinny legs, okay? So it gives off that appearance. Some churches do Holy Communion once a week. Some do Holy Communion once a month. Some would say, what's Holy Communion? You know, some use bread. Some use wafers. Uh, some use crackers. Some churches use uh, actual wine in Holy Communion. And some of you are like Googling other churches right now. Uh, check that out. Some meet on Saturdays. Most churches meet on Sunday. A lot meet on Wednesday. I've even, I've even heard of a church that has services on Thursday night. The whole world's gone mad, right? Christians in our town serve the poor, fill the food pantries, want to make a difference in their community by volunteering at local schools. And people who claim Jesus in our town argue like children on Hemp Mount Juliet. They honk their horns too long in Providence and fight with the school board right here in our fair city. Followers of Jesus built the hospitals, the universities, and even set up most of the governments that you know about. Travel the world and you'll find most of the helping agencies and organizations where miracles are happening to save people and set people free were set up by the people who follow the same Jesus of Nazareth that we've sung about tonight. And you will also find many times that it was the Christians who were the ones who waged war, who oppressed people, and set up dividing lines among races and classes. Notable Christians include privileged women who gave up their privilege to live on the streets of Calcutta and take care of lepers, and it also includes pastor guys in expensive suits who own charter jets. It's confusing, right? Justin Bieber is a Christian. Praise God, right? And so, <laughs> yes, praise God. And so is Tim, Tim Tebow, right? They look different. Kanye West and CeCe Winans seem to have little in common, but they both sing Jesus is the king. This Jesus, our Jesus, has captivated the world and his teachings have not been lived out with the same consistency in which he loves us, but with the inconsistency of broken people in a broken world. And yet here we are still singing about him, still talking about him. Still longing for him. Still wondering about this Jesus. And so it just makes me wonder, what were the first guys like? Who got this started? What if we start there? And that's where John starts his book, John chapter 1. He tells of the majesty of Jesus as the word who was there in the very beginning, through whom all things were created, who has now become flesh and moved into the neighborhoods. It's this amazing cosmic uh, uh, thing that is laid out there. And then John moves quickly to telling us about those who followed him first while they were here on earth. To me, it's like, wow, we know their names. We know their parents' names. We know their occupations. And we know what they were doing on the day Jesus walked down their street. Surely it is worth our examination to wonder who were they what led them to follow Jesus? And are there any marks of a disciple? Are there any things that they show us, these first men and women, that can give us a heading to know which way to head as we seek to follow him in this inconsistent world and this inconsistent time? And so we picked up this, uh, this night with verse 35 of chapter 1. If you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to read through some of those verses again. 
It says the next day, John, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was there again with two of his disciples. So John, Jesus' cousin, who had this great following, had disciples. He had followers, and he's there in this story with two of them. And it says when he saw Jesus passing by, when John did, he said, look at him. He is the Lamb of God. John is doing his thing, right? Making sure people know who Jesus is and making sure that they understand who he is in relation to Jesus. And when the two disciples heard him say this, when John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, the first two followers of Jesus. When John's two followers heard John saying, that one is the Messiah, they're like, hey, John, we're going to leave you and we're going to go follow him. And you can almost picture John with a smile as if that's what he wanted to say. All right, fellas, go ahead. Turning around, Jesus looks, turning around, and Jesus saw these two followers of John now following him, and he asked them, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, teacher, where are you staying? Like, where are you going? Where, where is all this heading? And Jesus has a great response. We're going to hear more of it as we read on. He says, come and see. Come and check it out. Join me. I'll show you where I am going. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. It's about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Two things already so clear that followers of Jesus do. I don't know if you saw it. Two marks of a disciple. That's what we're going to call them uh, in this service. Marks of a disciple. Two things. If we were confused by how Christians have behaved in the past and how Christians behave in the present, two things we can see without a doubt that followers of Jesus will do. And the first is they stopped what they were currently doing. They stopped what they were currently doing to follow him. There is a picture here of two guys who were following John that when they heard about Jesus, stopped following John and started following Jesus. We're going to call this the abandonment of other things. It's the first mark of a disciple, the abandonment of other things. Following Jesus is not just the addition of Jesus in your life. It's not just bringing Jesus along with everything you got going. It's not just grabbing Jesus by the arm. It is letting go. There is a stopping. There is an abandoning. I'm using the word abandon because it doesn't just mean to let go of something. It means to let go of something completely, to, to let it go. And you will see as we go through the book of John that people are giving up stuff left and right to follow Jesus. He seems worth it from the get-go. <laughs> They do not have it all figured out. They do not know what follow. They don't even know where he's staying. They don't even know where he's going. And they are willing to abandon what before was their actual identity and their connections. They're like, I will let go of that to follow him. Jesus seems worth it from the get-go. <laughs> and so if we have never abandoned anything for Jesus, we might have to take a look at who we are really following. When I first fell in love with my wife, Rachel, we were in high school, I was really intrigued by her and I thought she was really pretty. But I got to know her and I learned that this young woman really loved Jesus Christ. And her life was different from most of the people I knew because of her commitment to him. And we became good friends and eventually I expressed my intention to her to take her on a date which she politely declined much to my surprise. I thought, why wouldn't she want to date me, right? That's what you're wondering. And the reason was she was really committed to Jesus, and I wasn't as much. 
And she had decided to embark on a life where she would abandon everything for him. And she wanted someone with her who would do the same. And so I became a Christian very fast. (laughs) Not really joking. Um, Young women, don't be afraid to tell a guy that you really love Jesus. And that means you have standards for your life and for your future. And it doesn't mean everything gets to go along with you. You see the example I'm making. I'm being silly. But if Rachel was willing to leave me behind completely, this must be a big deal. Just imagine what we might be asked to do. If you and I have never abandoned anything for Jesus, let's try it. Let's give something away that's holding us back from getting on the road with him. The first follower said, I am willing to lose everything to follow him. They're like, are you kidding? He's the lamb of God, the abandonment of other things. So you lose some things and then Jesus says, now come and see. You're free, you're you're out of it. And he says, come and see. Come, he says, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about uh, the 10th hour. So we are learning what it means to be a follower. The second mark of a follower of Jesus we learned from the first followers is the desire to see and spend time with Jesus. A follower of Jesus longs to see Jesus. <laughs> the most precious thing we have to, ta- to give is our time, and we give it to Jesus. I have noticed in this church, there are people here who have been following Jesus a long, long time. People who are committed to him that come to church here longer than me, know more about Jesus than me, and they'll come here, and I see this look in their eyes. They come here, and they're looking for Jesus. They're expecting to see him. And they've come in this place because they want to spend time with Jesus. I also see people who come here or connect with people that I learn or watching online who are inquisitive about Jesus, who haven't been following him a long time, but they, there's something going on in their heart. They're like, I would like to know more. I would like to see him. And they're ready to come and see. That's a good start. It's a really good start. So in verse 40... Um, we are told that Andrew was one of those who followed John. So we get these guys' names. And, and he starts following Jesus. So Andrew, this follower of John, starts following Jesus. And the first thing he did, listen, this is blowing me away all week. It, it tells us what the first thing Andrew did. He's following Jesus. What's the first thing he did? It says the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we found the Messiah. I think this is remarkable. The first thing he did was go tell his brother. The first thing that was on his mind. Uh, Look what it says in in verse 42. It says, and he brought him to Jesus. (laughs) I don't know if you know the story of our church. We're just a young church, 12, 13 years old. And our our church grew from a little bit of people to uh, a lot of people over uh, the course of a decade or so. And it wasn't like we just showed up one Sunday and, and there was all these people here. It really, it just sort of, um, it just sort of grew like this. We, we would have to, we'd say, hey, we need more chairs, I think. And we got more chairs. And, and then um, we'd say, um, maybe we need to add another service. We'd add another service. And then we'd say, looks like we need to go meet somewhere else. And we'd go meet somewhere else. We'd get a bigger room. And then we came here and we added a service. And we were here for a while. And then we added another service. And people just kind of started coming And if you are interested in our growth strategy, I can tell you what it is. And it was not a strategy that I had in starting the church. But the growth strategy was 
that a group of people became committed to seeing and spending time with Jesus and were willing to give some things up. Some people gave a lot of things up. And then in the midst of that, those people just started bringing somebody else with them. That's it. They just started bringing somebody else that would come and sit uh, with them. We have a couple that's joining uh, the church this Sunday, and uh, they've already brought somebody with them. <laughs> like this last Sunday, like, this is who I brought. We're like, okay, that's good. I was talking to somebody else who had joined the church a, a couple of months ago when I was meeting with them. And I was like, so how did you hear about the church? How did you end up here? And this guy was sort of retirement age, and uh, he had moved from out of state. And he said, well, this guy at the golf course invited me to come. I was like, I want to hear more about that because I love these stories. I was like, can you tell me just a little bit more about that? And he was like, oh, okay. He said, he said, so I sat down at the bar in the golf course. And I sat down next to this guy, and all he wanted to talk to me about was his church. And he invited me to come to church. And so I thought, I'll come. I don't really know anybody in this area. And the guy I was meeting with told me, he's like, I'm always early. Like, and he had been early to the meeting we had had. He's like, I'm like 30 minutes early. And he said, so I showed up to the church about 30 minutes early before the service. And the guy who'd been at the golf course bar was standing out on the sidewalk looking for me. And he walked me in. And he showed me where the coffee was. And then he came and I sat with him and his wife. The first thing that Andrew did was go find his brother and bring him to Jesus. The mark of a disciple is they bring other people to Jesus. It's just something that happens. It's, it's a mark of those who have encountered him. Even for just a short moment, Andrew had just started the first thing he did was go get his brother. So Andrew's brother, this is like, I'm just going to cruise all the way through the scripture, okay? It's just a lot, but it's, it's amazing. Andrew's brother's name is Simon, okay? And Andrew brings him to Jesus. Literally, he brings his brother to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. This is the first thing Jesus says to him. He says, you're Simon, son of John. Now you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The fourth mark of a disciple we see is the acceptance of new names. Simon. So Simon becomes like the most, one of the most famous followers of Jesus. But we don't know him as Simon, do we? We know him as Peter. And Jesus gives Peter this name. But when Peter would have heard that name, he wouldn't have heard Peter is, is how we pronounce it. But what he heard is, your name is The Rock. The rock. So it's like a Dwayne Johnson moment, right? Like in that moment, it's like, you're the rock, man. You're the rock. If you learn anything about Peter, you will see he is more like a crashing wave than a rock. He's flippant and fiery. He says one thing, he does the next, he turns his back. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a new name, Simon. You are the rock. Most of us carry with us the names that our parents gave us. That's usually how some people change their names, but most people get a name when they're a crying baby from their parents. They carry it with them their whole life, and then it's on their tombstone. Their name lasts longer on this earth even than they do. But I have learned as a pastor of 20 years that we also carry other names, some that our parents gave us, that are not on our birth certificate. The influence of other people and the things that happen in your life can actually give you new names. If your dad drives away when you're five years old and never comes back, you get a new name. If every time you perform on the court after the game, your dad just tells you all the things you did wrong and not anything you did right, you will give yourself a name. 
If your mom makes you feel guilty by her yelling or her silence, you'll take a new name and carry it. It's just the way it is. I'm not here, I'm not trying to be hard on parents. I'm, it's hard to be a parent, <laughs> but we pick up on other names as we go. But the person who gives us the most names is not our parents or a coach. It's me. It's you. It's ourself. I gave myself a name at some point when I was a little kid. And the name was, I'm the afraid kid. And so I just kind of took that on. Like, I'm the afraid kid. I'm afraid. I'm kind of afraid guy. I feel afraid. But sometime around age 18, after I had met that young lady, Rachel, God gave me a different name. I didn't really tell many people about it, um, but I'll tell you. When I was about 18, I felt God tell me that I was going to be someone who would do something for him with my life. And so I'm the afraid kid, but all the time God is asking me to do stuff that afraid people shouldn't do. (laughs) To start a church or um, to speak in front of other people. So I was like, That name doesn't fit the name I've given myself. That only fits the name that God has given me. So I constantly have to remember my new name, the name that I got as a follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus gets a new name. Simon's like one of the most common names of the time. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Simon, son of John, I'm calling you the rock. And as we go through this story, if you remember that's his name, here's what you'll hear Jesus saying to Peter over and over. He's just saying, the rock, the rock, the rock, the rock, the rock, the rock. He's just pounding this new identity into this man who can, I often wonder what it felt like when Peter heard it the first time because he knew that wasn't who he was. But by the time we get to a later place in Peter's life, he sees himself as who Jesus has told him who he is. Right? Jesus will speak something into you that you are not yet. You're the rock, Peter. The other guys are like, oh my gosh, he doesn't know Peter, right? (laughs) You're the rock. And he says it so many times that Peter becomes the, the one who has known that the church is built upon. That when it comes to the day when Peter's tombstone will be set up, it's because Peter was killed himself for his faith in the Messiah that his brother introduced him to. And Peter said, don't nail me to a cross. If you're putting me on a cross, turn it upside down because I do not have the honor to die in the way that my Lord did. That's the rock. That's the name he received from Jesus. And that's the mark of a disciple is we have to accept a name that we know is not us yet. And so you may be thinking, I don't have a new name. So I want to just throw it out there as we go through this. Ask Jesus for a new name. He will speak something to you that you are not yet. I don't care how old you are. All right, let's keep moving. So the next thing that happens may surprise you. There's this guy named Nathaniel. We're getting the names of the first followers of Jesus. Nathaniel meets Jesus because of Philip. So Philip brings Nathaniel to Jesus. And Philip comes to Nathaniel. He says, I found the Messiah. His name is Jesus. He's a guy from Nazareth. 
So Philip and Nathaniel are from a place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida is on the very northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. I've actually been there. It's a beautiful place. It's like the, the, you know, the water glistens with the sun off of it. It's just this like, you know, like you live on the lake. It reminds me of this area sort of over, over in Lebanon where you're close to the lake, like over by the Friendship School. If you've been over there, it's just like this beautiful area. And you go through and you drive through and you'll see the lake and the sun will be reflecting off of it. So Philip and Nathaniel are like uh, just with me for a second, okay? They're like Lebanon boys, okay? They're from Bethsaida. They're from, they're from Lebanon. They're blue devils. And Philip comes to him and he says, I have met the Messiah, but he's from Mount Juliet, okay? <laughs> right? And Nathaniel's like, the other side of 109? Like, yeah. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from there? And guess what Philip says in response? He says, come and see. That's the Jesus response. You check it out. Come and see. Come and see. So Nathaniel is walking towards Jesus. He's never met him. And Jesus says to him, so he's walking up. Jesus says weird stuff. He says, here is a true Israelite uh, in which there is nothing false. So he's already speaking something into Nathaniel that he is not yet. And Nathaniel says this. He says, how do you know me? How do you know me? So here's a mark of a follower of Jesus, a first follower of Jesus. They all do it. They ask all kinds of questions. Frequent questions is the mark of a disciple. As we go through the book of John, you're going to see these followers of Jesus saying, excuse me, Jesus, I have a question. Uh, I have a question about this. I have a question about this. I have a question about this. So like we're getting permission right from the get-go. Bring your questions. Be inquisitive. Ask Jesus. Nathaniel's like, how do you know me? We have never met, and you're like speaking something out of me. And so here's what Jesus says to Nathaniel. He says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Jesus gives, gives weird answers all throughout the story as well. And so Jesus answers our questions often about him by showing us how well he knows us. He doesn't always even answer the question that we ask. But what he wants us to see, you'll see this in the book of the John, he, he gives answers that show that he came before us. It all goes back to John chapter 1. He, he's like, how do you know me? He's like, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel says, then you are the Messiah. The questions lead to answers that give us faith and belief. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Do you know the most common thing that people will say to me uh, when I preach a sermon uh, that, that they want to tell me, like, you preached a good sermon? This isn't just me. There's like Mark, Pierce, Diana. If you preach a sermon, this is a very common thing people, people will say to me. The most common thing, if I preach a sermon, people will say, uh, they'll say something like, I felt like you were inside my head. Right? I felt like, or they'll say, I, I felt like you were speaking to only me. I had a guy uh, just this last week. Uh, he, this is what, he is an older guy, and he said, uh, he said, were you reading my mail this week? <laughs> well, here's the truth. Here's the truth. I have no idea what's going on in your head. Most likely, I was not with you this week. Here's the truth. I wasn't speaking to just you. I wrote a sermon I'm trying to preach to everybody in the room. Uh, here's something else that's true. I can hardly keep up with my own life. I'm not keeping up with all the stuff going on in yours. So if you hear when someone is breaking down the word of God and it feels like they're speaking right to you, 
That's God, not the preacher. It's nothing to do with me. I'll have people say stuff to me. I know Saffron and Mark, we've talked about it, and they will say, when you said blank, and they talk about this big change in their life, and I'll, be, I'll go out, I'll say, oh, thank you for the compliment, and then I'll go to Rachel and say, I never said that. I never said that. And so you need to know that. If you have that experience, that's Jesus saying, I saw you this week. That's Jesus saying, I know you. That's Jesus saying, I know what's up in your life. I will saw you under the fig tree. And so Jesus answers questions, not always with the details that we want to hear, but he gives us an understanding of who he is, that he comes before. Followers of Jesus say, I know you're the Messiah because of how well you know me. That's the sixth mark that we see in this, the knowledge that you are well known by Jesus. It's a mark of a disciple. They walk as known people. They have new names, right? And they know that they're known. The only thing that Nathaniel knew about Jesus was that Jesus knew things about him that no one else knew. He had never done a Bible study. He, he had never you know, been to a worship service where they worship Jesus. The only thing he knew about him is this guy knows who I really am. And so this is what Jesus said to Nathaniel. He said, oh, wow, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You're going to see things way greater than that. <laughs> And he says that not just to Nathaniel, he says it to us. He's saying to us right now, this is just the beginning. Me, knowing you, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm from the beginning. I was there when you were created. But he says, there's better things than that coming in your story. How do we, how do we, how do we be a part of that? Come and see. Come and see. The seventh mark of a disciple is the belief that greater things are coming all right, I'm wrapping it up, okay? You're like, whew, seven points, Armstrong. <laughs> that was something. Okay. The mark of a disciple is not a bunch of followers on Twitter. The mark of a disciple is not how much money is in your bank account. The mark of a disciple is not your political affiliation. The mark of a disciple is not doing things that bring attention to yourself. It's faithfully leaving behind things so that you can free yourself up to get on the road with him. It's seeking after him, wanting to see him, and spending time with him over and over and over. It's bringing other people with you before you have it all figured out. It's shedding old labels and accepting the new name that Jesus wants to give you. It's asking the questions that are burning on your heart, even when they come from a place of pain. It's hearing Jesus say, I really, really, really know you. It's believing that greater things are going to happen in your life. We learn what it really means to follow Jesus, not by watching the inconsistent ones around us, but by looking at the Lamb of God. Listen, guys, I believe that there's greater things yet to come that we are going to see. And think about what we've seen. I have seen kids drinking water in Nicaragua out of faucets where I was there the year before, and, and they were drinking muddy water and they, they were sick and they were, had their destiny was, was, was death and sickness. And I've been there. I've seen wells dung and water drunk because this community of Jesus followers believe that they should have a better life. I've seen children of this church addicted to drugs, lost, who are now healed and following him and people who were once addicted in this church mentoring those children. I've seen marriages, couples sit in my office right on the other side of that wall 
wall who were broken and they were done and they were over and now they stand and serve communion on Sunday. I have seen a bus that is owned by the Wilson County Schools that was paid for by this church. It was renovated and it drives through the neighborhoods and serves food to hungry children and families because this church felt like the sacrifice was worth it because we follow Jesus. I have seen hundreds of people be baptized on this stage, sometimes in one weekend, and then more people have to come in their jeans and their sweaters. They say, I have to get in the tub. I've seen people walk out of the neighborhoods right on these streets outside these windows and come in the back when the service was over and said, something drew me here. I want to know more about this Jesus. I've seen these things and I believe still as a follower that it's just the tip of the iceberg, that there are greater things yet to come. I believe it because we follow Jesus. So guys, don't let the inconsistency of Jesus followers keep you from seeing the consistent power of Jesus in this life. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. Give up some things. Be a disciple, not a spectator, not a visitor. Be a disciple. And you learn that from his word and from Jesus. All right. We're going to start something here at Providence called discipleship groups. And you're going to hear more about this. I just want you to hear a taste of it tonight for people who want to be disciples, okay? Uh, So um, in a few weeks, we're gonna have a a time where you can come together and learn more about this. And what we're looking at is having groups of men and women, four, five, six, seven folks that meet week week after week. And what are they gonna do? Leave things behind, spend time with Jesus, you know? Uh, Get new names, ask their questions. So just know, just be listening for this, okay? And the other thing on my heart, this isn't a slide on the screen, it's just something on my heart. I wanna speak to the men of the church for a moment. Uh, I want to I want to gather with those of you who might be feeling called to go deeper, or who have a sense um, that you want to be a part of of helping our church go to a deeper place. On next Thursday morning at 6:30, we're just going to do this for a few weeks and see where God leads us. We're going to start praying for the church, praying for each other, praying for our families, praying for our marriages, um, and. Uh, so that's all I got for today. But 6.30 next Thursday, if you're in the area, we'd love for you to be here. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for this amazing story that John has written down. And we thank you that you are giving us dreams and vision for a better future because of you. Greater things that you can do in our midst. We worship you, God. We pray in this room, in this moment, and those who are worshiping online, that the light of Jesus, who spoke light into existence, will begin to shine in our hearts. And some of us are thinking, I don't know how to be a disciple. I can't be a disciple. Let Jesus' light shine into your heart, begin to pull away the darkness, begin to forgive you of your sin, and begin to renew you in a way that you can live a new life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.